Chapter Twenty One of the Precipice. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Precipice by Elia Wilkinson Peattie. Chapter Twenty One. Meantime, Ray McCrae had neglected to take his summer vacation. He was staying in the city, and twice a week he called on Kate. Kate liked him neither more nor less than at the beginning. He was clever, and he was kind, and it was his delight to make her happy. But it was with the surface of her understanding that she listened to him, and the skimmings of her thoughts that she passed to him. He had that light, acrid accent of well-to-do American men. Reasonably contented himself, he failed to see why everyone else should not be so, too. He was not religious for the same reason that he was not irreligious, because it seemed to him useless to think about such matters. Public affairs and politics failed to interest him, because he believed that the country was in the hands of a mob, and that the grafters would run things anyway. He called eloquence spellbinding, and sentiment slush, sentiment, that is, in books and on the stage, and he was indulgently inclined to suspect that there was something in it for whoever appeared to be essaying a benevolent enterprise. Respectable, liberal-handed, habitually amused, slightly caustic, he looked out for the good of himself and those related to him, and considered that he was justified in closing his corporate regards at that point. He had no cant and no hypocrisy, no pose and no fads. As sane, aggressive, self-centered, rational materialist of the American brand, it was not only his friends who thought him a fine fellow. He himself would have admitted so much, and have been perfectly justified in so doing. Kate received flowers, books, and sweets from him, and now and then he asked her why he had lost ground with her. Sometimes he would say, I can see a conservative policy is the one for me, Kate, where you're concerned. I'm going to lie low so as not to give you a chance to send me whistling. Once, when he grew picturesquely melancholy, she refused to receive his offerings. She told him he was making a villainous out of her, and that she'd end their meetings. But at that he promised so ardently not to be ardent that she forgave him, and continued to read the novels and to tend the flowers he brought her. They went for walks together, sometimes she lunched with him in the city, and on pleasant evenings they attended open-air concerts. He tried to be discreet, but in August, with the full moon, he had a relapse. Kate gave him warning. He persisted. The moon really was quite wonderful that August. And then, to his chagrin, he received a postcard from Silvertree. Kate had gone to see her father. She would not have gone but for a chance word in one of Wander's letters. I hear your father is still living, he wrote. That is so good. I have no parents now, but I like to remember how happy I was when I had them. I was young when my mother died, but father lived to a good age, and as long as he was alive I had someone to do things for. He always liked to hear of my exploits. I was a hero to him, if I never was to anyone else. It kept my heart warmed up, and when he went, he left me very lonely indeed. Kate reddened with shame when she read these words. Had Honora told him how she had deserted her father, how she had run from him and his tyranny to live her own life, 
and was he wander meaning this for a rebuke but she knew that he could not be honora would have kept her counsel she was not a tattler carl was merely congratulating her on a piece of good fortune apparently it threw a new light on the declaration of independence that had seemed to her to be so fine was old-time sentiment right after all the ancient law honor thy father and thy mother did not put in the proviso if they are according to thy notion of what they should be so kate was again at silver tree and in the old familiar and now lifeless house it was not now a caressed and pampered home there was no longer any one there to trick it out in foolish affectionate adornments in the first half-hour while kate roamed from room to room she could hardly endure the appalling blankness of the place no stranger could have felt so unwelcomed as she did so alien so inconsolably homeless she was waiting for her father when he came home and she hoped to warm him a little by the surprise of her arrival but it was his cue to be deeply offended with her hello kate he said nodding and holding out his hand with a deliberately indifferent gesture oh see here dad you know you've got to kiss me she cried so he did rather shamefacedly and they sat together on the dusty veranda and talked he had been well he said but he was far from looking so his face was gray and drawn his lips were pale and his long skillful surgeon's hands looked inert and weary when he walked he had the effect of dragging his feet after him aren't you going to take a vacation dad kate demanded if ever a man appeared to be in need of it you do what would i do with a vacation where would i go i'd look fine at a summer resort wouldn't i sitting around with the idle fools if i could only go somewhere to get rid of this damn neurasthenia that all the fool women think they've got i'd go but i don't suppose there's such a place this side of the arctic circle kate regarded him for a moment without answering she saw he was almost at the end of his strength and a victim of the very malady against which he was railing the constant wear and tear of country practice year in and year out had depleted him of a magnificent stock of energy and endurance perhaps too she had had her share of responsibility in his decline for she had been severe with him had defied him when she might have comforted him she forgot his insolence his meanness his conscienceless hectoring as she saw how his temples seemed fallen in and how his gray hair straggled over his brow it was she who assumed the voice of authority now there's going to be a vacation she announced and it will be quite a long one put your practice in the hands of someone else let your housekeeper take a rest and then you come away with me i'll give you three days to get ready he cast at her the old sharp lance-like look of opposition but she stood before him so strong so kind so daughterly so motherly too that for one of the few times in his life of senseless domination and obstinacy he yielded the tears came to his eyes all right kate he said in an accent of capitulation he really was a broken old man she passed a happy evening with him looking over advertisements for forest inns and fishing resorts 
and though no decision was reached both of them went to bed in a state of pleasant anticipation the following day she took his affairs in hand the housekeeper was delighted at her release a young physician was pleased to take charge of dr barrington's patients kate made him buy new clothes he had been wearing winter ones and she set him out in picturesque gear suiting his lank length and old-time manner then she induced him to select a place far north in the wisconsin woods and the third day they were journeying there together it seemed quite incredible that the dependent and affectionate man opposite her was the one who had filled her with fear and resentment such a short time ago she found herself actually laughing aloud once at the absurdity of it all had her dread of him been fortuitous his tyranny a mere sham had he really liked her all the time and had she been a sensitive fool she would have thought so indeed but for the memory of the perplexed and distracted face of her mother the cringing and broken spirit of her who missed truth through an obsession of love no no a tyrant he had been one of a countless army of them but now he leaned back on his seat very sad of eye inert of gesture without curiosity or much expectancy he let her do everything for him she felt her heart warming as she served him she could hardly keep herself from stooping to kiss his great brow the hollows of his eyes when he was sleeping moved her to a passion of pity after all he was her own and now she had him again the bitterness of years began to die and with it much of that secret instinctive aversion to men that terror of being trapped and held to some uninspiring association or dragging task for now when her father awoke from one of his many naps he would turn to her with have i slept long kate or we'll be going in to lunch soon i suppose daughter or will it be very long now before we reach our destination it was reached at dawn of an early autumn day and they drove ten miles into the pine woods the scented silence took them they were at god's green caravansary and the rancor that had poisoned their hearts was gone they turned toward each other in common trust father and daughter forgiving if not all forgetting the hurt and angry years it really was your cousin who brought it about kate wrote honora he reminded me that i was fortunate to have a father you see i hadn't realized it oh honora what a queer girl i am always having to think things out always making myself miserable and trying to be happy always going wrong and striving to be right i should think the gods would make olympus ring laughing at me i once wrote your cousin that women of my sort were worn out with their struggle to reconcile their convictions and their instincts and that's true that's what is making them so restless and so strange and tumultuous but of course i can't think it their fault merely their destiny something is happening to them but neither they nor anyone else can quite tell what it is dr barrington was broken no question about that even the stimulation of the incomparable air of those northern woods could not charge him with vitality he lay wrapped in blankets on the bed improvised for him beneath the trees 
or before the leaping fire in the inn with the odors of the burning pine about him and he let time slip by as it would the people at the inn thought they never had seen a more devoted daughter than his she sat beside him while he slept she read or talked to him softly when he awakened she was at hand with some light but sustaining refreshment whenever he seemed depressed or too relaxed but there were certain things which the inn people could not make out the sick man had the air of having forgiven this fine girl for something he received her service like one who had the right to expect it he was tender and he was happy but he was after all the dominator nor could they quite make out the girl who smiled at his demands which were sometimes incessant and who obeyed with a perfect patience of the strong they did not know that if he had once been an active tyrant he was now a supine one as he had been unable for all of his intelligence to perceive the meaning of justice from the old angle he was equally unable to get it from his present point of view he had been harsh with his daughter in the old days so much he would have admitted that he would have frustrated her completely absorbed and wasted her power he could not perceive he did not surmise that he was now doing in an amiable fashion what he hitherto had tried to do in a masterful and insolent one he did not realize that the tyranny of the weak is a more destructive thing when leveled at the generous than the tyranny of the strong had he been interrupted in mid-career in those days when his surgery was sure and bold to care for a feeble and complaining wife he would have thought himself egregiously abused that kate whose mail each day exceeded by many times that which he had received in his most influential years whose correspondence was with persons with whom he could not at any time have held communication should be taken from her active duties appeared to him as nothing he was a sick father his daughter attended him in love and dutifulness he was at peace and he knew she was doing her duty it really did not occur to him that she or any one else could have looked at the matter in a different light or that any loving expression of regret was due her such sacrifices were expected of women they were not expected of men although men sometimes magnificently performed them to tell the truth no such idea occurred to kate either she was as happy as her father at last in circumstances sad enough she had reached a degree of understanding with him she had no thought for the inconvenience under which she worked she was more than willing to sit till past the middle of the night answering her letters postponing her engagements sustaining her humbler and more unhappy friends those who were under practical parole to her with her encouragement and always day by day extending the idea of the bureau of children for daily it took shape daily the system of organization became more apparent to her she wrote to ray mccrae about it she wrote to carl wander on the same subject it seemed to suffice or almost to suffice her it kept her from anticipating the details of the melancholy drama which was now being enacted before her eyes for her father was passing his weakness increased and his attitude toward life became one of gentle indifference he was homesick for his wife too 
though he had seemed to take so little satisfaction in her society and had not scrupled when she was alive to show the contempt he felt for her opinions now he liked to talk to her he had made a great outcry against sentiment all of his life but in his weakness he found his chief consolation in it he had been a materialist denying immortality for the soul but now he reverted to the phrases of pious men and of the past generation i should be seeing your mother soon kate he would say wistfully holding his daughter's hand kate was involuntarily touched by such words but she was ashamed for him too where was all his hard-won bravely flaunted infidelity where was his scientific outlook it was only slowly and as the result of her daily and nightly association with him that she began to see how his acquired convictions were slipping away from him leaving the sentiments and predilections which had been his when he was a boy he had never been a strong man really and had his violence of opinion and his arrogance of demeanor been the defenses erected by a man of spiritual timidity and restless excitable brain had his assertiveness like his compliance been part and parcel of a mind not at peace not grounded in a definite faith perhaps he had been afraid of the domination of his gentle wife with her soft insistence and had girded at her throughout the years because of mere fanatic self-esteem but now that she had so long been beyond the reach of his whimsical commands he turned to the thought of her like a yearning child to its mother if you hadn't come when you did kate he would say weeping with self-pity i should have died alone i wouldn't own to any one how sick i was why one night i was so weak after being out thirty-six hours with a sick woman that i had to creep upstairs on my hands and knees he sobbed for a moment piteously his nerves too tattered to permit him to retain any semblance of self-control kate tried in vain to soothe him what would your mother have thought if you had let me die alone he demanded of her it was useless for her to say that he had not told her he was ill he was in no condition to face the truth he was completely shattered the victim of a country physician's practice and of an unrestrained irritability her commiseration was all that had been needed to have him yield himself unreservedly to her care it had been her intention to stay in the woods with him for a fortnight but at the end of that time found his lassitude increasing and his need for her greater than ever she was obliged to ask for indefinite leave of absence a physician came from milwaukee once a week to see him and meantime quiet and comfort were his best medicines the autumn began to deepen the pines accentuated their solemnity and out on the roadways the hazel bushes and the sumac changed to canary to russet and to crimson for days together the sky would be cloudless and even in the dead of night the vault seemed to retain its splendor there are curious cloths woven on persian and on turkish looms which appear to the casual eye to be merely black but which held in sunlight show green and blue purple and bronze like the shifting colors of a duck's back kate pacing back and forth in the night after hours of concentrated labor labor which could be performed only when her father was resting 
noted such mysterious and evasive hues in her northern sky never had she seen heavens so triumphant true the stars shone with a remote glory but she was more inspired by their enduring their impersonal magnificence than she could have been by anything relative to herself a year ago she had been so isolated she might have found herself lonely but it was quite different now she possessed links with the active world there were many who wanted her some for small and some for great things she felt herself in the stream of life it poured about her an invisible thing but strong and deep sympathy understanding encouragement reached her even there in her solitude and heartened her weary as she often was physically drained as she could not but be mentally her heart was warm and full october came and went bringing little change in dr barrington's condition it did not seem advisable to move him rest and care were the things required and the constant ministrations of a physician would have been of little benefit kate prayed for a change and it came but not as she had hoped one morning she went to her father to find him terribly altered it was as if some blight had fallen upon him in the night his face was gray in hue his pulse barely fluttering though his eyes were keener than they had been as if a sudden danger had brought back his old force and comprehension even the tone in which he addressed her had more of its old-time quality it was the accent of command the voice he had used as a physician in the sick-room though it was faint send for hudson he said we'll be needing him kate the fight's on don't feel badly if we fail you've done your best it was six hours before the physician arrived from milwaukee i couldn't have looked for anything like this he said to kate i thought he was safe that six months rest would see him getting about again they had a week's conflict with the last dread enemy of man and they lost dr barrington was quite as much aware of the significance of his steady decline as any one he had practical quiet encouraging talks with his daughter he sent for an attorney and secured his property to her once more as in brighter days he talked of important matters though no longer with his old arrogance he seemed to comprehend at last fully and proudly that she was the inheritor of the best part of him her excursive spirit her inquisitive mind were after all in spite of all differences his gift to her he gave her his good wishes and begged her to follow whatever forces had been leading her it was as if in his weakness he had sunk for a period into something resembling childhood and had emerged from it in a newer finer manhood i kept abreast of things in my profession he said but in other matters i was obstinate i liked the old way a man at the helm and the crew answering his commands no matter how big a fool the man was i still wanted him at the helm he smiled at her brightly there was indeed a sort of terrible brilliancy about him the result perhaps of heroic artificial stimulation but these false fires soon burned themselves out one beautiful sunday morning they found him sinking he himself informed his physician 
that it was his day of transition. "'I've only an hour or two more, Hudson,' he whispered cheerfully. "'Feel that pulse.' "'Oh, we may manage to keep you with us some time yet, Dr. Barrington,' said the other with a professional attempt at optimism. The older man shook his head. "'Let's not bother with the stock phrases,' he said. "'Ask my daughter to come. I'd like to look at her till the last.' So Kate sat where he could see her, and they coaxed the fluttering heart to yet a little further effort. Dr. Barrington supervised everything, counted his own pulse, noted its decline with his customary accuracy. The sunlight streamed into the room through the tall shafts of trees. Outside the sighing of the pines was heard, rising now and then to a noble requiem. It lifted Kate's soul on its deep harmonies, and she was able to bear herself with fortitude. "'It's been so sweet to be with you, dear,' she murmured in the ears, which were growing dull to earthly sounds. "'Say that I've made up to you a little for my willfulness. I've always loved you, always.' "'I know,' he whispered. "'I understand everything now.' In fact, his glance answered hers with full comprehension. "'The beat is getting very low now, doctor,' he murmured, the fingers of his right hand on his left wrist. "'Very infrequent. Fifteen minutes more.' Dr. Hudson tried to restrain him from his grim task of noting his own sinking vitality, but the old physician waved him off. "'It's very interesting.' he said. It seemed so indeed. Suddenly he said quite clearly, and in a louder voice than he had used that day, It has stopped. It is the end. Kate sprang to her feet incredulously. There was a moment of waiting, so tense that the very trees seemed to cease their moaning to listen. In all the room there was no sound. The struggling breath had ceased. The old physician had been correct. He had achieved the thing he had set himself to do. He had announced his own demise. End of chapter 21